0: But first today to that pretty confronting warning from President Joe Biden yesterday that the world was closer to serious hostilities, a nuclear Armageddon was his term, than it had been since the Cuban Missile Crisis in October 1962. He made the remarks to a group of Democrat supporters and funders within the week that President Vladimir Putin announced the annexation of four regions of Ukraine, 15% of its land, 7.5 million people, and following his shock mobilisation of hundreds of thousands of Russian men, which is still very much flowing through his society. Meanwhile, Ukrainian troops press on, it would seem, with advances amid emerging reports of terrible treatment of captured people by the Russian military. It is becoming very dangerous. As my first guest today, Emeritus Professor Paul Dibb, has been anticipating for some time. The question is, how dangerous really? That's what I'm keen to hear him address, having been a very long-time specialist in military analysis of the Soviet Union, especially during the Cold War, and now obviously its success of the Russian Federation. Uh, welcome, Paul Dibb. Good morning. You're back writing and analysing deeply these issues. Did you imagine you would be?
1: (laughs) No, I mean, I was one of those who said that Putin... um, is risking a lot of his reputation on this invasion. But along with the United States chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in a closed advice to Congress a week before the invasion, I said to my wife, 72 hours, the Russians will be in Kiev. So, look, my judgments on Russian military are not brilliant.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's honest at the start. Look, do you think President Biden was accurate or wise to raise the Cuban crisis as some sort of analogy?
1: Look, to answer the first part of your question, Geraldine, um, he was not accurate. And I say that with great respect to the President of the United States. Let me quickly take you through 1983. 1983, um, President Reagan was calling the Soviet Union the evil empire. Just to prove that, the Soviets, you may recall, shot down a South Korean civilian airliner with 300 people on board. Um, the Russians were deploying uh, uh, intermediate-range missiles capable of reaching Berlin, uh, Paris, and London. And in response, the Americans were going to deploy the Pershing II missile, which had a flight time to Moscow of six minutes. Serious stuff. And in amongst all this, without any good intelligence, the uh, NATO, led by America, had its regular annual autumn uh, exercise called Able Archer And what did it do in that exercise? It had changed the nuclear code release um, documents. It had changed the way in which nuclear weapons would be released in terms of the code. And the Russians didn't detect that. So a very good friend of mine, um, who later became the head of CIA, Robert Gates, you remember Mm -hmm. him, told me... Five years after this event, when I was deputy secretary in charge of defense intelligence, including Pine Gap, by the way, that this had happened and it was very serious and it nearly occurred. And Gates, in his book about his um, intelligence service serving of successive presidents, called 1983 in his book, the chapter was called The Most Dangerous Year. I'm not dismissing the Cuban Missile Crisis. We all know it was dangerous. But we don't know, generally, that the Soviet Union's long-range strategic nuclear strike capabilities were nothing compared with those of the United States at the time.
0: Okay, so we've been here before, you're saying. I do think we should just have a little review of the Cuban crisis, though, because certainly I've been using that. I didn't know that, (laughs) that you just said. I've been using that as my horror scenario and how close we came. We did come close, did we not? Yes, we did.
1: Yes, we did. Um, It was a year after I'd arrived in in Canberra from from the UK and I remember being gripped by by the television with my then wife and recognising, gee, this could be the end run. Um, As you well know, what saved the day was face-to-face diplomacy in that... um, President Kennedy and his brother, Robert, his brother was talking hour by hour, minute by minute, with the then-Soviet ambassador in Washington, who'd been there for several years, maybe a decade or two, I can't recall. And that was the sort of backdoor diplomacy in which the final deal was arrived at with Khrushchev, who was an aggressive man, but a final deal which said the Russians would... Um, dismantle and take back to the Soviet Union their short-range nuclear-capable missiles, of which several were already deployed in Cuba. And in return, and this wasn't released until much later, in return the Americans would take short-range nuclear missiles out of Turkey. Mm.
0: Um, Mm. and, And so... There was also, correct me if I'm wrong at any point, there was quite heroic behaviour too, on the ground of people, so Soviet commanders and so on in charge yeah. of submarines. like so that's what I've been thinking about this situation, whether there's going to, if it really did come to the point where someone like Putin ordered something appalling, um whether there would be people in his um, structure who would just refuse, who would who would disobey. <laughs>
1: I hope you're right, Geraldine Duke, um, but, you know, dream on. Um, (laughs) um, These, you know, people don't disobey him. I hope I'm wrong on that issue. The important thing is the following, however. Now, there is not the same face-to-face discussions at the strategic nuclear level, let alone tactical nuclear weapons, um, between the United States and uh, Russia. When I was last in Russia six years ago, a Colonel General, a rank higher than our three stars, said to me, Paul, we and the Americans were not talking to each other, we're not sending signals to each other, it's unclear whether the new START agreement, that is the limitation of 1,500 strategic warheads on each side, whether the Americans are going to um, uh, uh, activate that. And then he looked at me and said, And in the event there is a nuclear war, Paul Dibb, you will find that Pine Gap disappears.
0: He stated that? Yes, he did. Okay, so that puts us in the frame. Um, do we know, can I ask you this, that these warheads work? I mean, you yourself thought the Russian military was going to be vastly better than it is. They've allegedly been modernising their nuclear capability, but they said that yep. about their military too. So, I mean, as somebody put to me during the week, do we even know they genuinely work?
1: No, we don't because we've, <laughs> we see launches, and by the way, you know, um, amongst other places in the Cold War, uh, Pine Gap and the, its opposite number in, uh, in the UK at a place called Menwith Hill in Yorkshire. Um, we used to watch the um, detect the infrared heat from the missile in Siberia, um, we would be able to track the parameter of that missile and estimate its impact point. That, and they've regularly tested them, and we've watched them test that even more recently. But as you say, um, you'd have no real confidence in the workability and accuracy of, of Russian missiles. And let me stress again for your listeners, the really dangerous issue right now is the Americans and the Russians are not talking. They're at standoff between each other. And that was not the case in the same way in the Cold War. Sure, there were confrontations, including the Cuban Missile Crisis, but they negotiated the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty, the Theater Nuclear Weapons Treaty, the Salt I and Salt II treaties in the early 70s, Those discussions no longer are occurring Mm. in any meaningful
0: way. Now, there are some hints, uh, as you put it, from Putin in his, what you said, unhinged speech recently, in terms of his attitude to the US, that they had used nuclear weapons twice, the only country to do it, and set a precedent. You've put quite an emphasis on that coda, set a precedent.
1: Yeah. It's a device, and it's a devious device, but as you are saying, He said in his speech uh, last Friday that um, the Americans have used nuclear weapons twice, by which he meant Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And the strong implication, which I found very disturbing, was, well, if I use them, I I will not be breaking the precedent, as the Americans keep trying to accuse me. They've already done that. I find that deeply concerning.
0: So what signs are you particularly seeking in this next, which could be, could be a pretty tense old couple of months coming. What, I mean, any negotiated ceasefire anywhere in the near term that you can see that might alleviate us from this?
1: No, I cannot see any ceasefires. And, you know, um, the, the Ukrainians, for reasons I understand, and I just watched on ABC News um, the formidable performance by Zelensky, but for reasons I understand, he's talking about winning. I don't know what defeat in Russia which has 1,500 strategic nuclear warheads, and, by the way, another 4,400 in reserve. I don't know what that means. So there has to be some negotiated solution.
0: Um, and are, are you speaking to anybody who's got any sense that, that where that might come from, either within Russia or, or the US, let alone, uh, let alone Ukraine?
1: No, the source is, you know, in the Cold War, at least uh, Putin... Uh, sorry, at least uh, uh, the Soviet leaders like um, Khrushchev and and Andropov, they um, had a politburo, which you and I would call a council of ministers, not elected, of course. But you remember how the politburo in 1964 voted Khrushchev out of power. Putin has made sure, as a former KGB colonel, there is no politburo, his advisers are increasingly less and less they nearly all with former KGB and intelligence and security backgrounds. And you've seen the way he dismissed on the morning at five o'clock in the morning on in the Thursday in February the 13th, no, the 24th, mm. how he dismissed the views of his senior intelligence people. Come on, make your mind up. Don't you have any intellect? That sort of wording He's increasingly isolated. If I may use a good expression, drinking his own bathwater, and you see how wrong his advisers got the intelligence Mm. on Ukraine.
0: I think we'll probably have you back, but thank you very much indeed for setting us off today, Paul Dibb. Anytime. Paul Dibb, Emeritus Professor of Strategic Studies at the ANU, and he's written a very interesting piece for the ASPE uh, on the strategic considerations of the Ukraine war. You might like to go to their website to read it.